Good evening, everybody. Welcome back to In The Loop. I'm Sean McMahon, joined by Alex Frank. Alex, college football is finally back in Cincinnati. It is. Finally back. Well, what'd you think? Well, it was a good win. I mean, you anytime you open the season with a 35-point win, it's impressive. I wish it would have been a little bit wider in terms of the margin of victory, which was 35 points, like I said. But Luke Fickle said this yesterday. I thought it was a really positive spit on it. He said that he likes that the defense got challenged a little bit mm-hmm. and that it will pay off in the long run. Because think about it. Memphis is still on, Memphis is still on the schedule. UCF is still on the schedule. You never know what you're going to get from Houston. ECU even has a, has a decent offense. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they I mean, showed that last I mean, year. I mean, really... SMU as well. SMU I mean, is scary. Yeah, this whole conference, SMU put up 56 points on the road this past weekend. Who was that against? Uh, North Texas. Oh, okay. Which is not, you know... It's not nothing necessarily turning cough at, but, I mean, it is North no, Texas. Conference USA is solid. Yeah, uh, but anyway, okay, uh, what, uh, I'm not trying to get too off-topic here, but, no, great win. Great to see Jared Dokes in top form. I know he didn't have that many rushing yards, but at the same time, three rushing touchdowns, receiving touchdown. He outscored Austin P by himself. Yeah. So it was really good to see him. It was good to see Arquan Bush get an interception. Desmond Ritter looked good. Ben looked Bryan good. looked really good when he got the when he got the call. Yeah. Um, Jaden Thompson, who got the start in place of Alec Pierce. Uh, I don't have the stats directly in front of me right now, but uh, you know he got the opportunity to come in. Seventy-seven players, Sean, got to play on Saturday. Seventy-seven. That's half the roster. That's actually no. That's it's more way over half. half. That's more that's than half. Way over half the oh, roster. Way, sorry, I'm thinking of uh, Army's roster. Anyway, they've got too many people on their team. It, like, like. Uh, yeah, they do. Yeah, like, like Alex said, uh, Desmond Ritter, thirteen for nineteen for 196 yards, uh, two touchdowns, QBR of 84.9. Ben Bryant, four of seven for 53 yards. Averaging 7.6 with a QBR of 95.9. Now, one thing I kind of noticed that I don't know. It seemed like they were kind of missing some of their throw. I mean, 4 for 7 is good. 13 for 19, that's really good. I'm not saying that's bad. But I feel like they missed a few wide open passes. And they, they struggled a little bit with downfield passes just a bit. I feel like they overthrew their receivers. Yeah, I remember one to Jay Sean Jackson over the middle of the field. And even a catch that Josh Wiley made was kind of little bit overthrown, but mm-hmm. at the same time, you know, they weren't egregiously missed throws. Yeah. I mean, and those things are very, very fixable. Keep in mind, you haven't played in eight and a half months. Yeah. And all the uncertainty and all the abnormalities that the offseason possessed with COVID-19, just to be able to get out there and play a game, now you're in, now you're in rhythm, um, you... You got challenged a little bit by Austin P in the first quarter. Trey Tucker got in on the action, which they counted that as a touchdown pass. I'll have to go back and look and see. Uh, I think it was a jet sweeps, and I think those count as passes. See, that's it. Which is strange. It is, but strange. it also it, makes because, sense because, because a sweep is a run play. I think. No, because the quarterback, he what he does is is he'll just go like this. He'll basically just give it a little toss in the air as the running back goes by. Okay, and it counts as a forward pass. So it's like a shovel pass. Uh, it's even less than a shovel yeah, pass. It requires, it's it's literally just he throws it up in the air right in front of him. Like literally, if you're if, if I'm the quarterback and you're the running back, who Alex is sitting a foot away from me, as the running back's coming by, 
he'll just give it like a little bitty bitty toss in the air, and then the running back will just whoosh, take okay, off. Okay, so so that would count as pass. I think the Ravens ran that play once last year with with uh, Marquise Brown and Lamar Jackson. So the jet sweep has become popular. It's it's a great play for misdirection. Yeah, which with this team you can do. By the way, great to see Jerome Ford. He got a touchdown. Mm-hmm. Uh, Trey Tucker, as we mentioned, he got one. Jaden Thompson. You had four different running backs playing this game and four different quarterbacks. Desmond Ritter obviously started the game. Ben Bryan didn't come until late in the second quarter when there was like a minute left or something. Um, and then later in the game, Michael Lindauer came in for a few plays, had two carries for 15 yards, but he also fumbled the ball. Gave it away to Austin P. He was, he, he was playing very reckless with the ball. He really was. He didn't have great ball security. And then later in the fourth quarter, uh, towards the very end with about, I think it was maybe 40 seconds to go, yeah. Evan Prater came in. Great uh, to see him. Great to see him on the field. Two carries uh, for four yards. Not not some, a whole lot, but hey, for his first game, I mean, he can still redshirt. He's got a few more games. Well, you know, Who knows if maybe... Let's let's say, God forbid, uh, you know, Desmond Ritter's having a bad game and Ben Bryant's hurt. You sure as heck aren't going to put Michael Lindauer in there. You're probably going to put no. Evan Prater in there. And so, who knows how clutch he could end up being one day down the road? It's like like we've said before. It's nice to brag that you're that your third string. This is like an Alabama thing. Your third string quarterback is a four star. Yeah. Well, but but the, but the thing that separates Alabama from. Um, well, I shouldn't say that, but like the difference between UC and Alabama is like UC has a quarterback who has been here for two years. And in the American Athletic Conference, you're going to stay more than two years, most likely, Definitely. as a quarterback. So that's why Desmond Ritter is still the starter. And that's why Evan Prater hasn't gotten the opportunity yet. But I'm telling you right now, down the road, with what I saw on on Saturday in that little 40-second you know, window that Prater got at playing time, this offense could be really dynamic. He looked like a... He, I'm not going to lie to you. He looked like a leader. Uh, just him standing in the backfield. Something about his aura. He just he just looks like a leader, you know? I don't know why. I just get that sense for him. You know, you look at the Spencer Rattlers of the world, and you look at, you know, the Justin Fields, and, like, they're, they're probably on a different level just because they play for more elite teams. But, like, he just kind of has that, that leadership. He has that presence on the field that I think every offense wants. Yeah, and, and that's so important to have at the college level. We've seen it with Desmond Ritter. I mentioned it last week. You know, there, there are games that the Bearcats have won the previous two years that they don't win without Desmond Ritter. Yep. Even though, you know, as a passer, he may he may make you want to scratch your head a little bit. At the same time, his ability to run the ball with his legs, and there have been games that this team has won because of his ability to throw up the football. And on, and on Saturday... You know, he was a big question mark coming into the season. But he's healthy. The offensive line, for the most part, played well. Mm-hmm. Uh, they Running the football, I mean, look, they did... They had four running backs in the game, by the way. 293 yards. Now, you can say, why did Jared Dokes only have 10 carries for 22 yards? Well, you say uh, that, but then you look and he goes, oh, he had four touchdowns. Yeah, so you really can't be concerned. And Charles McClellan, five carries, 47 yards. It was really interesting to me... And this is no disrespect. I don't think this is a, this is a disrespect to Austin P. Although it can be perceived that way, they were rotating guys in and out of the game, and so were we, as you saw when well, you, what, you mentioned the seventy-seven that's players. That's what I'm saying. Cincinnati was rotating guys in and out of the game, but you can do that with the running back mm-hmm. r- room that this team has. It's insane with Dokes, McClellan, uh, Jerome Ford, Ryan Montgomery had five carries for eighteen yards. So. 293 yards. Yes, your leading rushers were Ritter and Bryant. Hey, 
uh, the Patriots are winning games with Cam Newton as their leading rusher. Which is a totally different offensive scheme than they're used to. Oh, yeah. With Tom Brady. I don't think they, I don't think they've ever had that offensive scheme. No, I don't I don't know that they have. Even go going back to the Drew Bledsoe days. Yeah. Different kind of football back then. Yeah, but this is a fun kind of football. That's fair. But this is this is a fun kind of football. No but, longer are we just middle of the field. No, we're going to attack you on the perimeter. Yeah, that's true. You have a lot more speed focused, but anyway, um, yeah, like you said like like we have we got four four running backs that are really solid. I mean, Ryan Montgomery not only is he you know, doing running back duties, but he's got kickoff return duty, and he's also got punt return duty. So while, yeah, he only had five carries, but you have to remember, he received a lot of punts, and he, I'm sorry, it is Brian Montgomery and Trey Tucker in the backfield on, on kickoff return, right? Yeah, it's Trey Tucker on kick returns, and then Montgomery on punt returns. Okay, I thought but Montgomery I, was on By the way, Jaden Thompson had, a, had an 18-yard catch on He was Saturday. the Arkansas transfer, correct? Uh, no, that is Jordan James or Jordan okay. Jones. I'm, I'm still learning names here. Yeah, I think we both are. So, yeah, Jaden Thompson's an incoming freshman from Chicago, I believe. So. There he is. So, Thompson, uh, obviously now we mentioned because Prater's gotten one game, you are going to have to be cognizant of that because I still would redshirt him. If you redshirt Evan Prater, you give him another year. Correct. And then you can use his talents more. That's the unique, that's the unique aspect to being able to redshirt a player. Jaden Thompson, you know, most likely with the injury to Alec Pierce, which we didn't even know about last week, Sean. Let's 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 remember that. We found out Saturday morning, right before we left for the game, that Alec Pierce was going to was going to not uh, play. Mm-hmm. And then Luke Fickle said yesterday, and this was the first time that this was mentioned, because Luke Fickle was saying after the game on Saturday that he hoped it wasn't going to be too long for Alec Pierce return. Well, now it's going to be a few weeks because he had his knee scoped. Uh, he, so he's going to be out. That's a big loss. Yeah. For considering that Cincinnati's receiving core coming into the season was largely unproven. Yeah, I agree. I mean, especially, you know, because the offensive line last year, at least kind of failed to protect Desmond Ritter. And you mentioned earlier that like you can't win games without Desmond Ritter. And one, I mean, literally the prime example of that is the UCLA game in 2018. That is the prime example game where Desmond Ritter wasn't necessarily the sole reason that we won. I mean, Michael Warren obviously was huge and Khalil Lewis and, you know, all those guys. But Desmond, that was also when Desmond Ritter had more time in the pocket. That was a better year for him because he had better offensive linemen. But, yeah, that, I mean, that game was, was is really the, the quintessential game where you can look at Desmond Ritter and you can say, oh, Here's a perfect example of his leadership ability and his ability to come out on the field ready to play with an attitude, with a swagger. I mean, the dude had almost no business playing in that game. I, you know, you got, what, third, third-year starter Hayden Moore or second-year starter Hayden Moore? Well, it was, th- it was uh, no, I think it was fourth-year. Might have been fourth-year starter. It was his fourth-year. Yeah, fourth-year starting, yeah, but... Yeah, but what's that really saying, though? Consider, I know, but... When you consider what Hayden Moore done. Now, I will say this about Hayden Moore. His first appearance... He did throw for 550 someone yards in Memphis. I do remember I that. Can't, I can't ever forget that. Yeah, no We can't can. ever forget that. Certainly that not. He did that. And then he goes out the next week, and then was he starting that game against Miami, Florida? Was that 2015? Yes. Yes, he started that game. Okay, so. Yeah. I've watched the highlights of that game so many times. Okay, so Hayden Moore was not a bad quarterback. Was he good? Eh, decent, serviceable, could win you. Some games on occasion, not 
uh, 10 games of back-to-back regular seasons. Not the quarterback you wanted to lead your team. Like Desmond Ritter. Well, but the thing about Desmond Ritter that night, I mean, God, gosh forbid, we're going way back here, but... I mean, what? Really the biggest takeaway from Saturday is it was a great win. Everybody, is, I mean, 77 players getting on the action. Mm-hmm. Great to, you know, have college football here in Cincinnati. You know, the lack of fans, yes, was unfortunate. It, you know, it wasn't normal. But it did feel like we were at a college football game. Yeah, it really did. Despite the lack of fans and everything, it still felt like a pretty... Pretty normal uh, college football Saturday for the most part. I, it, it didn't feel totally 100% normal. I'd say it was probably about maybe 80% normal, roughly. Just, you know, you don't get tailgating. Yeah. You don't get that kind of atmosphere. But, you know, you move down to now the receiving uh, from Saturday. Josh Wiley had three catches for 61 yards. Great to see him. Good to see him start to get some catches. Bruno LaBelle, three for 36. Trey Tucker, one for 29. Uh, also, kick return, as we mentioned earlier. Lenny T, 2 for 21. Jaden Thompson, as Alex mentioned, 1 for 18. Jay Sean Jackson, 1 for 10. And Michael Young, the transfer from Notre Dame, uh, 2 for 10. Can you talk about Leonard Taylor and his blocking on that touchdown run by Ben Bryant? Yeah, here's right at the goal line. Here's a guy who's 6 foot, was he 6 foot 5, 6 foot 3, 247 pounds. This is big tight end. And he's, and he's down the field at the goal line, blocking and paving the way for Ben Bryant. That's. That's a that's a really versatile tight end right there, and that's and that's just you know what, that's what Josiah DeGuara was. Yeah, I mean, what is that? That's just you know that's just playing hard. It, it's you know again being versatile, being able to do multiple things on the football field. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's what it, it, we talk about this team being driven in the trenches, but it's also just a matter of you know doing something that you know being a part of something bigger than yourself, doing something bigger than who you are. Leonard Taylor's a tight end, not on that play. Now, you mentioned that UCLA game in 2018. Desmond Ritter in that game was 13 of 24 for 100 yards. Nothing flashy, right? But for a redshirt freshman playing in his first yeah, game. But here's where here's where he won me over. 14 carries, 63 yards. Mm-hmm. So you can say that Michael Warren, who, I mean, these are absurd stats. You ready for this? 35 carries, 142 yards, yep. three touchdowns. I remember Good that. Good God. That's yeah. the, I mean, that's trucking right I, there. That was the thing. That was the game plan. Really, I mean, I was watching that game, and I'm thinking, give, the, you ball, them to give the ball to Michael Warren. That's all I said the whole time. And guess what? It worked. And you, now, now, you can't obviously run. You know, can't run the ball all the time. you got to pass every now and then. But if you want the offense to work, give it to Michael Warren. And it worked. And he, he was just storming through that. That UCLA defense, like nobody's business. Michael Warren was the offense that year, but Desmond Ritter was the reason why they were in a position mm-hmm. to give the ball to Michael Warren at the goal line, who had three one-yard touchdowns yep. in that game. So we talk about Ritter burst on the scene. Then I liked how they and this I mentioned this last week, Sean, on the show. The way the Bearcats coaching staff and Mike Denbrock and Gino Gadulli brought developed Desmond Ritter in his first season. They didn't put so much on him right away. Now, the weather gods kind of gave them a bit of a gift in that Miami game where they ran the ball 51 times on 62 plays. Hmm. Okay, that's fine. Alabama AM, Ritter was 9 of 10 in the first quarter. He wasn't going to play much after that. No. No, but that's an average of 40 throws a game. It was the OU game where... That was a great game. I'll never forget yeah, that and, game. And they had to unleash Ritter in that game, and he responded. And he said after the game... When he steps on the field, he feels like he's the best player. 
Now, remember last year, you know, Mike Denbrock admitted in the offseason they put too much on Desmond Ritter early. Now, that's because Michael Warren was banged up. Remember he was hurt in the UCLA game? He got injured twice in that game, I think. Oh, he did get a little, yeah, I remember him limping on the sideline. I remember when Jared Dokes got hurt for that game, and all of a sudden, I'm like flipping my, I'm flipping. I'm like, what's going, what, Jared? And then Michael Warren took over, and I was like, oh. Didn't he miss like the next, I think he missed the next. He missed Two, most of the season. Three Jared Dokes? I thought he did. No, I no. I, maybe he was healthy, but he didn't play a lot. He had three touchdowns in the Tulsa game. He played. He played for sure. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I'm thinking 2018. Minus. Jared Dokes missed the entire, 20, the entire 2018 season, but he played last year. But not having Jared Dokes early in the season when the Bearcats' offense was struggling against Ohio State and even Miami, despite putting up 35 points, that was a struggle to put up 35 points in that game, and it should and it should not have been. But you think about. They put so much on Ritter early. Take a look at his numbers through the first games in 2018. Pass attempts, 24, 11, 10. Then you go to 29, 26 at UConn, 25, 33 at Temple, a bit too much. 50 at SMU, they, they did win that game. 17 against Navy, 24, 26, 29. He got hurt in the bowl game against Virginia Tech. Probably would have had around 28 passes at least. Look at last year how that season, how the season started for Desmond Ritter. Uh, 26, 20, 30. Then again, Ritter was banged up in the Ohio State game. And they, I mean, they dropped him back a lot of times in that game. Sure. 22 at Marshall, good. 31 UCF, fine. 24 Houston, really good. 22 Tulsa, 24 ECU. See, those numbers keep going down. That's how you, that, that's how this team should be coached. Now you don't have Michael Warren this year. As your bow cow running back. Still a better running back than Jared Dokes, I would argue. And I'm not the only one who thinks that. You, you, who else thinks that? Did you ever see that? Did you see the post-game interview with, like, the fans on Channel... I think it was Channel 9 did, like, a little little segment where they had, like, fans, like, call, quote-unquote, play-by-play. And one guy was on the interview, and he's like, Jared Dokes is a better running back anyway than Michael Warren. Not No diss to Michael Warren, but I think I agree with him. I think there's a lot of things. I think Jared Dokes can do a lot more things on the field than Warren can. But you can't. I don't think you can say that Jared Dokes, as far as a value, as far as a value, Michael Warren is a, it was an extremely valuable player to this team. Sure. They don't win 20... Uh, 20, 22 games in back-to-back seasons without Michael Warren. It was Michael Warren who filled in for Jared Dokes as an unknown sophomore when Dokes ended up missing the entire 2018 season. I'm not Again, I'm not saying that Michael Warren was bad. I'm just saying I think Jared Dokes is a better running back. I mean, now there might be, there might be reasons and justifications to that, but Jared Dokes, look... As far as, you know, a guy who can run from the backfield, I think Warren was better at that. As far as a receiving back, I'll take Jared Dokes. Certainly. Stri- strictly because Michael Warren wasn't nearly as fleet-footed as Jared Dokes. Michael Warren... Um, I think Dokes is more maneuverable. He's faster, and he's got all the power that Michael Warren had. I think he's a beefier... He's a taller version of Michael Warren, and he's faster. He's definitely faster than Warren. Michael Warren was a little bit small. He was small. He was on the smallest. Now he was good, but he was small. Not that small players can't be good. I mean, he, I mean, he the two years that he had were one of the greatest two-year stretches for any running back in program history. He set the touchdown record for UC running backs. 
Yeah, and if he had come back this year, he would have broken the all-time career touchdowns record. I'm sure. Yeah, I, I, frankly, he shouldn't have left. He had no reason to no. leave. If I'm being honest with you. Well, maybe we'll maybe we'll see him on Sunday with um, the Bengals going to the Eagles. Yeah. Uh, but before that, Sean, there's a there's a game here on Saturday, and it's pretty significant. Well, hang on, we're not done with this game yet. Well, what else? Do you, what else is there? Oh, we want to talk about. I mean, hey, look at the fumbles, right? We lost the ball four times. Well, I'm sorry. We fumbled the ball four times, but we lost it once because it was Michael Lindauer. But that's kind of significant. I mean, look at this. They had no. Austin P didn't fumble it once. We fumbled it four times. Guess who fumbled it the most? Michael Lindauer. Now he recovered one of those. But Ryan Montgomery had a drop on a kick. He, he muffed a punt. That was egregious. He should, he should never even try to feel that. I don't know. That was a very Atlanta Falcons-style special team <laughs> moment. That's funny. I don't remember Charles McClelland fumbling the ball, but I, I might if I see the footage of it. But, I mean, that's, that's kind of significant. Um, we had a, now, obviously, we had a pick with, um, with uh, Arquan Bush uh, on them. I think that might have been the only turnover they committed. I could, I could be very wrong, and I might be yeah, very I, I wrong. Would have, I would have liked to have seen more turnovers forced by this team, considering that there was a stretch through the uh, UCF, Houston, and Tulsa games where they forced, five tur- where they forced 14 turnovers in a, in a three-game stretch. So yeah. you would have liked to have seen that more, but at the same time, um, the defense, it got challenged. I thought for the most part, they were pretty solid. They did give up, you know, the the, the glaring weakness to me was how many times Austin P would go underneath, would go short over the middle, where there was space. Yeah, that's what they were that's what they were killing us on. Yeah, now and then their I, running game got going. Obviously late. the big reason why that happened is because this the Bearcats linebackers are new. And they're not if Perry Young and Brian Wright are playing yesterday, Austin P gets nothing. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry. Did I say yesterday? I meant to say Saturday. They don't get they don't get anything going offensively because Perry Young could play the entire field. Brian Wright was just a bulldozer up the. Up oh, the he field. would have put pressure on the quarterback like nobody's business. Exactly. Um, and I'm not saying that Joe DeBlanco and Darian Beavers and Jarrell White, Wilson Huber, Ty Van Fossen, they can't do what those guys did. I think if they played a level remotely close to what those guys did, because your defensive line is still intact. And it was pretty solid on Saturday. We look at the numbers there. Um, where are we going here? MyJ Sanders had a half sack, tackle for loss, three tackles. Uh, Malik Van had a uh, tackle for loss, three tackles. Michael Pitts, three tackles. Uh, where else are we going here? Ethan Tucky, Marcus Brown, Elijah Ponder had two, t- had two tackles. These guys, I mean, they're rotating guys in and out. Eventually, you're gonna see you're gonna see those numbers boom immensely because this game, starting with this game on Saturday, every game has something significant riding on it. Now, and the Austin P game did too. Mm-hmm. What was it the fir- It's the first game of the season, so of course there's something significant there. But I mean, you think about Army, top twenty-five team coming in, and the triple option. The last time the Bearcats faced a triple option attack, they were very, very solid. I'm not, I'm not going to dismiss that. Mm-hmm. But defensively, if the linebackers can play remotely close to what Perry Young and Brian Wright were able to do last year, 
The defensive line is going to do its job getting to the quarterback and stopping the run. The secondary is going to eliminate big plays, hopefully. Well, the defensive line is also going to be able to open up holes for the linebackers to storm, and maybe even the corners, maybe. I thought Jarrell White got some penetration on Jeremiah Oldsfall, Austin Peay's quarterback, on Saturday, so that was good to see. But again, it's just about, you know, you don't have to replace Perry Young with this guy in particular. Marcus Freeman's going to replace him with multiple guys, different looks, different schemes, different packages, that kind of stuff. That's how we did it last year with the defensive line, replacing the uh, Fitz, Copeland, and Broughton. Yeah, and you look at some of the other numbers here for the defense. Uh, Mod Gardner had the most tackles, not solo tackles, but he had the most tackles or was in on the most tackles for anybody on the defense with eight. Uh, it's three solo tackles. James Wiggins had six total. Uh, four solo tackle, tackles, excuse me. You know, Brody Engel, Malik Van, Deshaun Pace, even Jaheim Thomas, the freshman. You know, like, a lot of guys are getting playing time. Charles McClellan had a tackle, apparently. Um, but, you know, you look at these numbers, and it, it, it's rather promising looking at all these different players on defense that are getting these tackles. And that's that's really huge. Austin P. no turnovers whatsoever, nothing going, no fumbles, no anything. So they did really well in terms of not giving up any fumbles or any, or any, you know, they had they had one interception, but outside of that, that was it. I mean, they didn't fumble the ball four times like we did, so that was that was pretty good on well, them. Well, you mentioned that they were a different team than the one that came in three years ago because last year they won the Ohio Valley Conference, they went to the quarterfinals of the FCS playoffs, and they returned a lot from what they had last year. We knew this team was going to be, you know, despite being FCS, they're a solid program. Mm-hmm. And Marcus Lovings, their head coach, has this team going in the right direction. Yeah, and also Cole Smith, worth noting just a little bit, missed one extra point. Uh, would have been perfect on the day if he hadn't. Um, the Bearcats also would have been 14, 14, 14, and 14 through four quarters, but because of Cole Smith missing an extra point in the fourth quarter, it was 14 in the first, yeah. 14 in the second, 14 in the third, and 13 in the fourth, yeah. which brought the score down by one point. Yeah, 13 still a lucky number. I'm not going to. I'm not going to bash Cole Smith for that. No, I'm not going to either. No, no. If he misses one on Saturday, then maybe we'll, you know... That's a bit of a problem. Then maybe we'll bring that up next Wednesday. But no, I mean, Cole Smith did his job for the most part. One one missed extra point when you score eight touchdowns, it's going to be there. But it's not something to be... It's not something to lose sleep over at night. Here's an interesting stat. James Smith kicked one punt. That entire game for 41 yards. One punt. Wow. That's, that kind of says a lot. Because we had eight scoring drives. We had eight scoring drives. I think it was, what, was it five in a row we got on the field, scored, got on the field, scored? It was... Um, touchdown, 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 touchdown. It was touchdown, 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 half. Punt on the first possession in the second half. Touchdown, four straight times, fumble, end of the game. Mm-hmm. Well, no, then we got the ball back, right? I thought we got we turned it. They turned over on downs. Yeah. So that was that was technically when, another and, turnover. And that's, and that's when Evan Prater yeah. came into the game. Yeah, and so you know, with that being said, I think we're I think we're ready to move on to uh, the, Army this week. There's a pretty important game on Saturday. There is top twenty-five matchup. Bearcats will be taken on the Army Black Knights for the first time. Since, Since two, 2004, four, which is insane. Series is tied 3-3. Three to three. Uh, The Bearcats beat Army here in 2003, 
but then they went to Army in 2004, and Army's victory that game, Sean, snapped, I believe, a 17-game losing streak for the Black Knights at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and this is a unique game because, remember, this game was announced in late August. Very sudden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I remember we, we got them on the schedule, and... The return game is in 2031, if I forbid, which is amazing. I mean, it makes sense, though. It makes a lot of sense because, you know, all the schedules are filled between now and then. And so it only makes sense that 2031 is really the next available time we can play them. But Cincinnati is favored to win 66%. What's the line? The line. Where's that at? Where are you? Uh, Mr. Line. Come here. There it is. 13 and a half. Or I'm sorry. Wait, are you looking at the money line or are you talking about spread? Okay, spread which, which is 13 and a half. The over-under is 45, and the money line for Army is $450, and for Cincinnati, it's negative 600. So. I'll, take the over, I'll take the over on the over-under. That's total points scored, correct? That's, com- that's combined score in the game. Oh, yeah, no, I think I'm it'll taking, be a, I'll take the over. I'm taking the over with a tomahawk steak. I'll definitely I'm tomahawking take... tomahawking that I'll take, over-under. You mean tomahawk? Tom, whatever it's called, tomahawk. Did I say anyway, Tomahawk? You did. Spread is 13 and a half. What do you, I mean, what do you think about that spread? Do you agree with that? I think it's... You taking the over or under? I mean, you can, I, I look at it both ways. On one hand, you know Army's been really solid the last few years. Mm-hmm. And they're in the top 25 for a reason. The success that they've had the previous four years and now first two games of this year under head coach Jeff Munkin has been... Uh, it's been really palpable, and it's got this program in a place where it hasn't been as far back as I can remember, at least in our lifetime. Certainly, and they lost a Navy 14 years in a row, I believe is the number. Yeah, from number... 2002 through 2015. Yeah, I remember the first time Army beat them, too. It was huge. By the way, Army number oh, 22 yeah. coming to this game, Cincinnati at number 14 with UCF moving ahead of Cincinnati. And you can't. And kind of rightfully so. I mean, they beat Georgia Tech pretty handily yeah, at Georgia Tech. Yeah, that was an impressive win for UCF. It was overall outside of Tulsa blowing a, a 7-3 lead in the fourth quarter at Oklahoma State. It was a very solid week for the American. Uh, yeah, and Navy coming back and winning against uh, Tulane. That's Willie Fritz has to be sick over that game. Oh, I'm sure. Because they lost so many one-score games last year. Yeah, and that, that was another one. The right only there. game that Tulane really got smashed in last year was the Memphis game. Yeah, which um, uh, kind of the game well just ran all over them that game. Yeah, Army after two games is two and zero points per game thirty nine and a half points allowed three point five three point five yeah, points allowed. Now we are only two games into the season, but. I also don't remember their opponents. Do you have Do you have that available on you? So Army has played two games, as you mentioned. They beat Middle Tennessee State forty-two nothing, and then Louisiana Monroe. Okay, thirty-seven to seven. They were supposed to play BYU last week. That game got postponed due to COVID nineteen. So this is their first game since then. Of course, Did BYU have an outbreak. Um, they had I, to have right because it couldn't be Army because we're playing them. Yeah, that obviously they would. Makes sense. By the way, uh, earlier today there was a re- uh, release that came from Tampa. Uh, USF has paused football team activities after, uh, for an abundance of caution, because they just played Notre Dame. Notre Dame had seven players test positive for COVID nineteen. Their game, the Irish against Wake Forest this week, has been postponed to December the twelfth. This whole schedule is so messed up, man. Uh, now, uh, so we don't know if the USF game is going to happen next week. 
It I is. would almost well, I would almost hedge my bets and say it's probably not. I would say so too. Well, given what 2020's been, cancel culture. Yeah. No, it's been that's been going on for a while. But anyway, uh, all you can do is focus on this game, final non-conference game of the year. Yeah. Now Army. Running the triple option is 418 yards total through two games. Cincinnati with 525 through one game. Uh, yards passing, 28.5 for Army. Yards rushing, 389 versus Cincinnati's 276. Uh, we don't really, I mean, the passing, Army doesn't pass the dang ball hardly ever. So we but don't really. You have to be ready for it. Because you do have to, yes. It's like, it's like, uh, it's like UCF in a way where, you know, they throw the short passes and then. It, it's kind of the same thing. Throw a short pass and then go for the long ball. Run yeah, the ball a bunch, go for the long ball. This game is going to be a matter of just staying disciplined and staying in your gaps and knowing your assignments and understand that no matter what the score is, you have to find a way to stop Army. Get them, get your defense off the field as quickly as possible. Definitely. Because this game can turn into a clock control game. Yes, for sure. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how... Uh, I would like to think a high-powered offense. Cincinnati offense goes up against a seemingly pretty darn good offense. Or I'm sorry, defense for the Army Black Knights. Um, it'll be interesting to see how Cincinnati responds to uh, the numbers Army's posted on defense. Uh, yards allowed, 192. Pass yards allowed, 136. And rush yards allowed. 56 for Army. Well, let's take a look. I mean, you take a look at their defense uh, with the depth chart. You have, um, you got, I'm looking at it right now. Both of their nose guards are upperclassmen. Both of their defensive ends are upperclassmen. Uh, both of their Mike linebackers are juniors. Both of their BC, which I'm going to guess is, um, what, would, what would BC stand for? Is that back corner or? BC? Boundary corner? That's the position? Yeah, I'm going to go with boundary corner. That's I've done, You know, that's funny. I've never seen BC before. I'm going to go with boundary corner. Those are both upperclassmen. Their um, free safeties are both upperclassmen. And then they got a, a field side corner who's a junior. So they have some experience on their defense. And you look at the numbers for Army's defense. Uh, Cunningham, I think his name is... I should... Just pull out the uh, good old spotting boards. Here. By the way, Army winning versus ULM, thirty-seven to seven in Middle Tennessee, forty-two to nothing. So they've only allowed one touchdown of the year. They've only allowed one touchdown, one score on the year. Yeah, that's very so through that's, two seasons, which I, is solid. But you're only playing Middle Tennessee and ULM. Not that no no diss to ULM. I mean, ULM not no, a bad you, program. You post, by you post, Back-to-back games and only give up one touchdown. You're doing something right. You're doing something. Really so right. it's Cedric Cunningham Jr., their leading tackler, 13 on the season through two games. Two of them for loss. He has one sack. Uh, John Radigan has 12 tackles, three tackles for a loss, one and a half sacks to lead the team. Uh, interceptions. Army has three total on the season. They have forced three fumbles. They've recovered three fumbles. They have six pass breakups, three quarterback hits. Uh, 11 tackles for loss through two games. This, And you think about not only their defense, Sean, and keeping opponents off the scoreboard, it's their offensive line, too. I mean, mm -hmm. this this program in the, in, in the previous two seasons, in their ascendance under Todd Munkin, has done a tremendous job. They were second in the nation in rushing in 2018, the same year where they posted 70 points 
against Houston in the Armed Forces Bowl. God, they absolutely points in that game. They ran through. They ran through Houston like nobody's business. That tied an FBS record for a bowl game. Uh, and then last year they were third in the nation in rushing. So this Army team has come a long, long way in the previous few years under Todd Munkin. And this program cannot be taken lightly. Absolutely not. I mean, you look at when Army started really rising back again through the ranks. I, I would argue is when they started beating Navy again. Not that in previous years they weren't any good. But once they started beating Navy, they started getting back that attitude, you know, that like we're Army, we're going to run through you and we're going to kick your butt. We don't care who you are, you know. And, and, and they've, they've gotten better over the years. They really have. I would say in the last five years, Army's... Army's risen to be a pretty pretty menacing football team. I mean, they even took Michigan to overtime last year. If you remember that, the weekend we were playing Ohio State. I do remember that. So they almost beat Michigan. And they gave Oklahoma a game two years ago in Norman. And they that did. was when Kyler Murray was the quarterback there. And I think it was a 14-point game. They held Oklahoma on a 28 points. Yeah. I mean, you're doing something really well if you hold Oklahoma on a 28 points and you're not Alabama. Yeah. And, and what's funny is, you know, two years ago... Uh, guess who was on that Army team that came to Cincinnati? Oh, um, Chad Wilk. Chad Wilk, the defensive lineman coach last year who replaced um, Steve Stripling the previous year, who was a longtime Cincinnati coach, actually led the Bearcats to a victory as an interim coach for the 20, I believe, 12 Belk Bowl. I believe it was the 2012 Belk Bowl where Travis Kelsey had the game-winning touchdown. And then, now this year, you've got Greg Scruggs, who, again, as we mentioned before, I think we mentioned it maybe on the air, but maybe not here, that he won a Super Bowl with Seattle. Yep. Uh, he was a defensive end, if I'm not mistaken, not a tackle. I believe. I don't, a, I don't remember. I know he was a D lineman. He was a D lineman, went to Louisville, went to uh, Cincinnati, St. Xavier here. You know, I'm very confident in, in oh, his I am ability. Too. I, I'm, well, and that's... That's amazing to think about how the defensive line, for as for as much continuity as, as there is with the players, has had three different coaches. Well, this group's only had two. Well, okay, true. Because but. the defensive line, twenty eighteen was Fitz, Copeland, and Broughton. Um. Well, and um, Michael Pitts. Correct, and I guess Ethan Tucky, Malik Van, kind of, I think, kind of he got in there a little yeah. bit. So anyway, since the 2016 season, Army is averaging a nation-leading 327.8 yards per game on the ground. Oh my lord. Well, that makes sense because all they do is run it. So, But, I mean, I mean, that's still a pretty high number. And then, they, and then also, they own the best third down conversion rate for what it's worth. Dating wow. back to the 2010 season, converting 47.5% of their third downs. That's really impressive. That's, that's something. If you're Marcus Freeman, you're going, boy. We have got a lot to do. We just got to get off the field. Definitely. And I thought last year when the Bearcats faced their toughest opponent in UCF, they did a pretty good job of getting off the field. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not only that, but they played 22 guys on defense. So there's no doubt that this brilliant. time... What a brilliant game plan that was. There's no doubt that this year Marcus Freeman will probably do something at least somewhat similar to that. Because you want to keep your guys healthy, you want to keep them fresh, and you want to keep them motivated. So if you keep switching out your players all the time, you can keep fresh legs, fresh eyes, fresh whatever, fresh lungs, especially. You can keep your guys on and off the field, and they can recover for a little bit, go back out, and then they can, they can have themselves a game. So. You brought this up to me earlier this week. 
if Luke Fickle gets COVID, gosh forbid, which obviously we hope doesn't happen, but if he were and he can't coach, I think we know who's taking over. Oh, we would 100% know who's who's taking over. And Marcus Freeman, no doubt, I would feel nothing but confidence in him. So you'd be comfortable if Freeman had to coach two games in a row? Yeah, actually I would. I would be totally okay. Now with the that. problem is if he does and the Bearcats go two and zero and they look pretty good, that means he's gonna he's gonna get more attention as far as the head. That coach is the only problem is that if he does get time as an interim coach, then people are that go, might hey. be something come January February that you're really sweating. Definitely, you may not have sweated it during Luke Fickle last year. I didn't really. No, um, had no problem. But Marcus Freeman's a different story. Yeah, because I mean, you know, people are as much as you want head coaches. I mean. Defensive coordinators, offensive coordinators, coordinators in general, they want to be head coaches. And here's the thing. I think Marcus Freeman and Luke Fickle are together like glue. Like, I mean, to try to separate those two, their brilliance on defense and special teams, not only just Marcus Freeman and Luke Fickle, but also Brian Mason at the special teams position has been a pretty, pretty key figure for Cincinnati. I mean, the special teams on Cincinnati has gotten a lot better since the 2017 season, thanks to... Ryan Mason. Yeah, it really has just seen, you know, it make an impact on the game. How many block punts did we have last year? Um, Excuse me. I believe it was probably somewhere in the realm of five. Was it like one in four straight games, something like that? We had a we had a little streak going. We did have a little streak going. I do remember. I don't remember how many punt block punts we had last year. Um, I'll see if I can maybe try to pull that up. But Anyway, so um, I'm trying to find like how – because like really since 2000 – um, 14 is when Army has started to, they've started to really, you know, give, uh, have a revitalization to their program. Mm-hmm. So Jeff Munkin has been there since 2014. And Army's records through that stretch, 4-8, 2-10, 8-5 in 2016, 10-3, 11-2, a dud last year at five and eight, and now two and zero. Eleven win season for the first time in program history in twenty eighteen. Back to back ten plus win seasons for the first time, and they call it academy lore. Such fancy terms, right? When we talk about these service academy teams, yeah. And um, Army got blown out last year by Navy, which I really don't think anybody was. Now Navy had a great team last year. Navy was. This close to winning the Western Division. They were very close. If we close. beat Memphis in the regular season finale. Play Navy at home. That would have been interesting. That would have been real. I think we would have done a pretty good job. I think we would have won that game, too, strictly because our defense was playing really well. Yeah. Um. So, other and Then it would have been Cotton Bowl time. Yeah. Instead of Birmingham Bowl. Yeah, well. Oh, well. I would have missed Christmas, so. I probably would have gone myself. Um, to the combo. By the way, uh, Todd Munkin has also been at Georgia, Georgia Tech, Navy, Georgia Southern, uh, and then high schools. He was a wide receiver, tight end recruiting coordinator at Buffalo. He began his career at Hawaii and then went to Arizona State as a wide receiver's graduate assistant. Hmm. So that's the, that's the uh, career timeline for Todd Munkin. Okay. Well... Let's. Uh, I, I guess from here, maybe let's let's go score prediction. I think we kind of just about covered. Everything. I think this. I think the Bearcats will win this game, strictly because, strictly because I can't see them losing this game. But I, it's not going to be easy. No. And this is. I mean, this is going to be a game that you, that you're going to have to play 60 minutes for. 
And as our pregame, uh, halftime, postgame show host Caleb Taylor told me earlier today, who he's going to be hosting those on Saturday. Mm-hmm. This game's a resume builder. Yeah. I think the Bearcats win, but it'll be close. Give me 38-27. 38-27. Okay. You know, I, I actually uh, I like that that score prediction. Um, I, I agree it'll be really, really hard. It'll be really tough for the Bearcats. Um, Army looks like they've got a pretty solid defense through two games now. That could just be because, you know, Middle Tennessee State and ULM just don't have great offenses, which is possible. Um, but, you know, through two games, I mean, they're doing pretty darn good on defense. And so I think it'll be a struggle offensively for Cincinnati to, to expect something because, you know, we've seen Army on the rise recently in the, several, in the past several years, and their offense is doing pretty darn good since 2010. Uh, this is hard because Army's offense is going to be really hard to stop. They're going to be really, really tough. Um, and they're going to learn some of our weaknesses through Austin P. Now, Marcus Freeman and Luke Fickle have to adjust those weaknesses, and I think they will. Oh, man, 3827 is really good. I'll say, I'll say 35-23. 12-point difference. So it'll be under what ESPN predicted, which is the line is at 13 and a half. I think you, I, I think you um, bet the under on the line, the spread rather. So you're going to say you're going you're, you're to say Army covers the spread. No, I'm sorry. Um, yeah, no, Army the, would, co- what's, what's Army the would cover the spread. Yeah, Army would is cover that, the spread. The term? Yeah. Okay. Okay. I think. Yeah. I think it's definitely going to be a much closer game. Yeah, I'll take the hard over on the overall scoring, but in terms oh, of the... I have the... my Our scores right now obliterate the over-under. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, they really do. I mean, gosh, 35 to 23, that's 70, 72-odd points, I think, if I'm... No, 58. 70, 58, oh, yeah. I've got 65. Really? Okay. Okay. So we agree hard over there. I'm yes. Just... Oh, I, th- I I think it definitely will be over. Oh, yeah. I, I can't see it being under, really. I mean, I struggle. 45 is pretty high. The only way I can see it being under is if Army has insanely long scoring, insanely long drives. The Bearcats' defense, though, holds them, and the Bearcats' offense struggles. Mm-hmm. That's how I can see it being under. Okay. But even then, like, is this game really going to be like twenty three to twenty, or twenty four twenty one? I can't. It could be a really low scoring game. It's either going to be really high scoring and somewhat close, or it's going to be really low scoring and really close. Yeah, I mean that that over under is really interesting to me. Definitely. Okay, so we've got the score predictions out of the way. Uh, so Sean, you're pulling up high school score. I'm right. trying to pull up games for this weekend. I'm actually kind of struggling to find anything. Your Elder here. Panthers got a win last week over Moeller. They did. They did, and that was pretty big. Um, By the way, the Reds are up six to one in the bottom of the sixth inning. Was going to move to the Reds. Actually, this this game tonight against the Brewers is make or break. Really, I mean, if we lose this game. You can almost kiss the playoffs goodbye. You gotta win this game one hundred percent. But you you gotta win every game really. But this game is probably the most important game the Reds have played since 
I would say 2013. At the time, considering that the Brewers are right in the in the NL Central with the Reds, and that has more of a direct impact, it's an absolute must-win game. And at the time of this recording, the Reds lead at six to one. In the bottom of the sixth, I would argue they should have won last night. No, they definitely, yeah, it was definitely heartbreaking to see when the Reds yeah. were up two to one, and then all of a sudden They're I checked the score, one. and then they lost. They're up two nothing too. They were up two nothing, yeah. and then Monday to, to see them good. lose by one. Monday point. night was good. They they were down one nothing for the first five and a half innings. Suarez homers in the sixth, and then they just pounded. They just piled on the runs. Yep. Casale homer in the seventh. Mustakis big three run home run in the eighth. Which, by the way, the Brewers ended up scoring two in the ninth, which which shows that that three-run home run was enormous as far as insurance goes. And the Reds won that game. They currently sit today at, I believe, this is game number 57. They're 28-28. and 28. And at, the, at this time next week, I mean, they could be in the playoffs. And uh, you, you, you told me what we're going to do if the Reds make the playoffs. Which I'm all in for. Yep. Well, let's just say it involves celebratory beverages. We'll go, we'll go with yes. that. Yes. We'll go with that. Yes. Uh, anyway, so the Reds in a critical maybe, point maybe, in their Maybe season. some LaRosa's pizzas, too. No, that's overrated. What? We're going to get Adriaticos, and we're going to do pizza. Okay, I can not, go with Adriaticos. We're not settling for no LaRosa's. It's not even that good. Settle. Anyway, um, on to high school ball. This is, this is a man who's never been to the Cheesecake Factory, either, by the way. I've never been, but I've had the Cheesecake Factory. Okay, okay factory. you've had it. But okay. Uh, what's another? What, what else were we talking about? What, we it, are getting way off topic. Was it Maggiano's? Yes, I've never even heard of that place. But oh we are getting God. way off You've topic. You've also never heard of Ladanian Tomlinson either. Whatever. Keep going. Anyway, yeah. on to high school ball. Hey, Covington hey. Catholic will take on Cooper High on Friday at 7.30. That's a good matchup right there. Summit Country Day will take on Purcell Marion at 7 you know o'clock. Who, you know who went to Purcell Marion? Was that? You know who went to Purcell Marion? I feel like I do, and I'm not remembering who it is. Uh, Roger Stahlbeck. That's right, he did. I forgot, I forgot about him. Carroll takes on Baden at 7. Cincinnati College Prep takes on Roger Bacon at 7. Elder will take on Walnut Hills. This is Walnut Hills' first game back. Uh, CPS wow. actually just allowed their teams to begin playing. So that's really big news coming out of Cincinnati Public Schools. Uh, so great, Elder will great take decision. on... It's a great decision. And, and funny how, how coincidental that that comes just after the Big Ten reinstates their season. Yeah, so Elder will take on Walnut at seven o'clock. That is a home the game way, for did, the Panthers. I don't mean to cut you off. I did see headline today that the MAC is meeting, according to sources, on Friday to vote on whether or not to resume their season. Oh, well, that'll be interesting. But I don't we, think I don't think that means we're going to get a battle for the victory. No, we definitely won't. It's too, it's too late now. I could, my life can go on just fine without that. Yeah, I think. I mean, we're on a fourteen-game winning streak, so. Uh, LaSalle will take yeah. on Cathedral at 7 o'clock. I believe that's a home game for LaSalle. That'll be huge. Cathedral's a great team out of Indiana. Elder will also be playing them, uh, I believe, next week. Moeller is taking on St. X in a GCL matchup. Always a great matchup. Always a great matchup. A GCL matchups just in general. Um, Some of the best football in the state. Let's see if there's any other. Oh, GCL football is amazing. I the rivalries are just there's nothing like it. Milford will be taking on a little Miami, seven o'clock. Uh Fairfield is taking on Lakota East at seven. GMC is good football. Who's that? The Greater Miami Conference. They really do. It's that it's that conference that that's just above the two seventy five loop, which mm-hmm. that's what the show's called. So New Miami High School taking on Cincinnati Country Day. Indian Hill taking on Taylor. 
Middleton taking on Princeton. Lebanon oh, taking on Turpin. Archbishop Altair is taking on McNick. Anderson High School, who actually just changed their mascot, uh, are playing Winton Woods. Madeira is playing Deer Park. Harrison is taking on Northwest High. Those are probably some of the most notable matchup we have. Oh, uh, Cole Rain's taking on Sycamore. Uh, Talawanda's taking Cole on. Rain. They have not. They have not lost a conference game since 2008. Yeah, which is really impressive. Uh, they came I mean, close losing to Fair- they came close to losing to Fairfield last year. I think Fairfield missed a field goal at the end of regulation. I think you're right. I think I remember that game. And I think Coleraine beat them in the playoffs the next week. Did they? God, that's amazing. Are I you mean, sure about that? Because I mean, you can say what you want about Coleraine that they haven't won a state championship since 2004. The fact that they have breezed through conference play in every season since 2008 speaks high volumes. To what Tom Bolden built, and who's their head coach now? I think it's Sean Cutright. Um, what? That's some his name. His name is something like that. Oh, by the way, um, coming up after the Reds game on Fox Sports Ohio is a Bearcats Insider with Dan Horde and Tony Pike. Yeah. So let's see the Coleraine's Insider. There, there, there's some normalcy surrounding us right now. By the way, we got seven minutes left on this. Yeah, I know. We're, we're at the end here. but uh, You're just going through see. some high school football Just matchups. going through a little bit more. Uh, Finneytown in Wyoming. Oak Hills has taken on Lakota West. North, North College West Hill. Where did that go? Why does this keep scrolling down? North College Hill has taken on Lachlan. Uh, Newport Central Catholic High, which is where my cousins go, are taking on Newport High. So those are about some Newport of the... Newport Central Catholic is where John Brennan went. I do believe you are correct there. Um, those are really all of the major... High school matchups we have going on, um, whether they're inside or outside the 275 loop, it's, you know, if you're slightly outside, we'll count you. You know, don't worry about it. There's um, always good football surrounding this city. This city is, is, is very, very stacked in its high school teams and its recruiting. It's a, it's a very rich area with talent because, first of, all, there's a, first of all, the number of high school teams around here in general, that's going to yield a high number of talented players regardless of... If it's all D3 or D2 or whatever, you're going to have some talent uh, regardless of what level it is just because of the pure numbers of kids playing football in this area. I think it's also the coaching. Coaching as well is huge. I mean, mean, think about the history of the coaching. Gary Combs now with the Titans. Jerry Faust went from Mole to Notre Dame. Say what you want about how it went. Hey, the fact that big-time college football programs are looking at Cincinnati high schools for coaching, that says something. Oh, yeah. Definitely says something. Cincinnati is probably one of the most influential cities when it comes to football too in general. The, too bad the Bengals can't be. Can you imagine? If, if the Bengals had won those two Super Bowls or just one of them, I think people would be viewing this if city the Bengals, a little bit If the Bengals were a more prominent organization and they'd be featured on national television, the whole country would really understand just how huge football is here in Cincinnati. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you're, you know, in here, you've really only got Cincinnati. You've really only got the Bearcats. Um, that's your, I mean, that's your college team. That's it. Uh, you know, people look at UC and they think, that's a, that's a basketball school. Yeah, well, I mean, well, in recent is. years, it is. But in recent years, we've become a, we've become a hybrid of both. Uh, yeah, the, the, the palpable, a palpability of that, if that's a word, I think it is, of the football program is at a level that it may it, it, look is at a level that it maybe has not been at previously. Mm-hmm. It was funny. Our roommate 
asked, asked me a question the other day. He's like, is this city a baseball town? And I said, oh, yes. The Reds are the most are the more popular team between them between them and the Bengals. Yep. Yeah. Oh, 100. I feel like people are more diehard fans. I mean, I would rather die rooting for the Reds than the Bengals personally. Just just because I grew up with the Reds more so than the Bengals, and you know Mike Brown and whatever you. The Reds say. are a more fan friendly organization too. That too. I mean, they do a lot for the community. I mean, you see, they have a great presence on social media. I mean, Reds Fest. John, if you've ever been to Reds Fest at the Duke Energy Convention Center, it's every I December. I actually haven't, believe it or not. Uh, if they, well, who knows with COVID this year, but if they have that this year, I mean, heck, I'm I'm willing to go. I was going to go to opening day this past year. I know Same you year. were too. Yeah. Uh, that's definitely something on the bucket list for really any Cincinnati Reds fan, um, any real not Cincinnati Not just the Reds game, fan. but the whole day itself. I mean, it's packed downtown. You can, I mean, we went to the... The logger house last year. I mean, you. I mean, there were no seats available. No. The parade is the parade's great. Just the the pageantry before the game, and the game itself matters too. I believe that uh, there was a petition. There's a petition going around to get opening day to be a, like a, a, a citywide holiday. Give the, I think it should be. Give the kids off school. Get get the people off work. Get kids off school. People off work. I mean, why not? I mean, yeah. I was actually in the parade. Uh, my eighth grade year, yeah. and that's that's the closest I've ever been to an By actual way, game. By the way, don't mean to get you alarmed, but Trevor Bauer just threw a warm up pitch and appears to maybe have injured himself, but he, for the time being, is going to stay out on the mound. What what was he holding there? What was he? It might have been. It looked like he was bent over. He was, like, bent, he was bending over to like his calf, his Achilles. Could have been a side injury, maybe, but. This kid is such a competitor. Isn't it amazing that even pitchers can, you know, all they do is throw a ball, but, like, that's enough. You know, the amount of force that they put behind a pitch okay. uh, over time, they can they can, they can, can really wear themselves down. Amazing. The worst injury is when they throw their arm out. That is unbearable oh, yeah. to watch. Um, so with yeah, that being said, the Reds are up 6-1, to one, top of the 7th. I get him out of there before it gets ugly. Uh, two minutes left on the show. Um... At this time next week, I mean, we could be talking about the playoffs. Definitely There's 92, could. so I feel better now having seen that. All right. I think that's all we've got for you, everyone. Thanks for joining us. Uh, Bengals take on the Eagles Sunday at 1 in case. Forgot uh, to mention I, that. I, I know you may not care as much as I do. but uh, No, that's a must-win game for the Bengals. Oh, totally. As you've said. Oh, absolutely. So <laughs> it'll, be a, it'll be a busy weekend in sports in Cincinnati, as it always is in the fall. Um Cincinnati yeah. taking on Army at 3.30 at Nippert Stadium. On ESPN. On ESPN. And you and be I there or be square. Me and Alex will be there. I don't know about y'all. Probably not because they don't allow fans in. But point being. Well, there'll be virtual fans. You and I have the call. Fans. Caleb Taylor, pregame, halftime, and postgame coverage starts at 3 p.m. on BearCastMedia.com. Thanks for joining us, everyone. And as always, go Cats.